0: Before I forget, uh, I have some delayed OmniFocus follow-up from uh, our episode two or three weeks ago, because we've been gone for a little bit. Mm -hmm. Uh, The main thing, the key thing that I like about uh, having the ability to um, designate a tag that shows up in forecast view is that you can reorder those non-time-critical tasks. So it's not just that you see a bunch of things that are listed as um, tagged as today. It's that you can prioritize those without having to fudge like due dates. Like you know, just say like uh, laundry is at would do at one PM and getting coffee is due at two PM. Like you can just you can just reorder it like a list. So I think that's the key utility of that and that's why I love it so much. And I don't think I ended up properly uh giving
1: that credit when we talked about it. Is getting coffee really a task for you in Omnifocus? No. I just couldn't think of anything. Okay. But yeah, I was but like gonna I, have
0: I was gonna have a lot of questions about that. Well, actually, sometimes it is. It's something like cause sometimes I'll have like uh, get coffee, go to Home Goods, go to Target, like d- like a lot of things like where I just like it's something I want to remember. Where it's normally like I know it seems weird to want to schedule that, but it would be that like I just it'd be five o'clock and I'd be dragging ass, and then it would now now it'd be too late <laughs> for coffee. Dra- and dra- dra- dragging asses. Is that not an expression you're familiar with? Is that something you picked up over in England or oh uh, no that's uh we'll t- we'll talk about that there's a lot of there's a lot of weird stuff in England
1: <laughs> um well i would i so I would kind of like to start with that if if it's okay with you
0: we got we gotta talk about candy okay but that
1: uh, that's fine yeah well, well we'll get to the candy um so the reason we haven't recorded here in a couple of weeks is hey, don't put this all on me well no i'm I think I share the blame plenty in Skip Weeks. (laughs) Yeah. It's probably a little more (laughs) 70s, 30s in my direction. But Mm -hmm. um, you had your, I believe, first European trip? First... Well, I guess you've been to Canada, so not first international trip, but first European trip, yes. Yeah. Yeah. The
0: travel... I had some vacation time to burn off, and uh, flights were... um, fairly cheap to uh to the UK and um the one point five redemption bonus on the reserve card makes it fairly cheap to do that kind of stuff. So yeah, ended up going to uh to the UK and France for about nine days.
1: So that's yeah, I'm not like a hardcore like travel nerd, but I, I definitely am kind of interested in that stuff. So I'm always curious what people do for flights and whether they, you know, buy them with cash or points so it sounds like you you redeem some points
0: because the like because the reserve card it like it makes a lot of sense because they're like because you can unfortunately they're switching to expedia as the back end for the ultimate rewards travel portal thing so that's going to end up getting worse um but currently like yeah the flights aren't any more expensive and they're almost always competitive with the cheapest fares that you can find on kayak but because you get that uh, one point five x multiplier uh, when redeeming your points, that ends up being by far the cheapest way to do it. The only limitation is that you can't fly Southwest with it. But I, as a policy, will not. Yeah,
1: fly I don't, it I don't think they. I don't think they go to Europe, so you're okay there.
0: Or is, or just is anywhere, just <laughs> South. I, 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 <laughs> yeah, I, the whole cattle boarding groups. I I, I can't get down with that.
1: Yeah, I know. I'm not a big Southwest fan either, but the very special lady friend has had the. You guys do the companion tickets, yeah? Which is like, what? How much
0: is it for a second person?
1: Five dollars. You 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 pay the tax, yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're basically getting every ticket fifty percent off. So and you know the majority of our travel is just up and down the coast. So Mm -hmm. it's you know hour long flights, Mm -hmm. which I mean, which doesn't fix the boarding problem that you mentioned, but. Um, you know, for an hour long flight, that's 50% off. I can, I can deal with that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so you, and I, I take it based on some, uh, offline messages that we had. You flew United. Yeah. And this was, this was nonstop SFO to, is it, they go to Heathrow or Gatwick out there?
0: Uh, so it was, uh, so nonstop both ways, uh, from SFO to Heathrow and then, uh, eurostar train between london and france and then from charles de gaulle to back to sfo
1: oh okay so that's right you flew that's that's right you flew paris back so did is that that's through the channel to go from london to paris
0: what'd you call me i'm just kidding (laughs) Uh, you always use that one uh yeah no that was actually the most relaxing part of the trip (laughs) because uh rail travel is actually very nice in europe as opposed to uh Maybe i just have weird memories of uh, like um trips from orange county to santa barbara on amtrak where uh, i i was the weird kid with a 17-inch MacBook pro <laughs> <laughs> cramped in um trying to use like a sprint data card to get anything done so uh, yeah i i i don't have fond memories of us based uh, rail travel but no that that was that, that was very very nice and fun was That a, that was a CIA slot? Was that the name of that? No, because remember Apple was weird. and Because Apple's always on the cutting oh, edge. Slash, ex, was uh, it
1: Express Card? It was Express Card 34. And right. then I remember how
0: mad I was when they said they were ditching that.
1: Isn't that weird to think that Apple laptops used to have big slots like that? <laughs> okay. And, anyway. I, uh,
0: they, they used to have dual-link DVI ports. They yeah. used to have both audio in and out. You had double headphone jacks. It's yeah, yeah times times are. There
1: were there were two headphone jacks.
0: Yeah, because they used to have um, an audio in that also oh. had SPDIF, um optical audio, and then That's audio. Right.
1: I think my I think the first one I bought must have had that. Yeah, the MacBook Pro actually used to be a pro computer.
0: Hmm. What's well, a computer? maybe?
1: Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe maybe we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Um. So oh, okay. So you. Yeah. So you so united with points. London and Paris trained in between. So where did you stay? with was this a Airbnb kind of trip?
0: So my policy is like I'm uh whenever I'm doing solo travel, I will try to do it on the cheap. Um so you wanna stay in a like a centrally located Airbnb unless like a hotel is actually reasonably priced. Um so which, I just did that. they
1: kinda which they kinda never are in Europe so airbnb's kind of the way you gotta go yeah because in chicago
0: like it made sense like it it was pricey ish but i stayed in like a um like a downtown centrally located hotel and it was it was it was fine but yeah in europe like every airbnb was so cheap um and every hotel that was not like out in um uh the middle of nowhere like in whatever the uk equivalent of omaha nebraska is (laughs) like um yeah, those those were very very pricey. So overall, I think it was an average of like eighty bucks a night across the board. So I, th- I think I ended up doing the entire trip for under,
1: if you exclude the points in airfare,
0: probably thousand fifty. Yeah, it's it not bad for eight days.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. We've we've done it both ways, and um, yeah, I mean Airbnbs are quite a bit cheaper and can be really nice, and like you said, very very centrally located, which um is key in those big cities
0: yeah both of them had extremely slow internet but other than that um no i totally lucked out yeah especially the the france one it was it was uh like uh, 200 feet away from a rail station so it was super easy to commute around there
1: so that's a good segue um into your data slash smartphone setup when you were out there so what did what'd you end up doing i just roamed with verizon Okay.
0: Yeah. Like it. <clears throat> it ended up costing like so. It's an, it's like ten dollars a day. So, right. but not having to worry about having three G only data or having another SIM card or being disconnected from, uh, texting an iMessage and like have, <clears throat> having to deal with a bunch of like weird work stuff and missing calls, uh, would
1: just not have been worth it. Right. Yeah. I. I. You know. I still have that kind of dream. Even though like it's not like I do a ton of international travel, but if the whole Dual SIM, eSIM thing in these new iPhones works out the way that you'd want it to, where there's like apparently a setting where you can just have one SIM card do data and, but still have the other, uh, SIM card active for phones and, or phone calls rather and texts. That seems like that would be pretty sweet, but.
0: Yeah, but the thing with AT both AT and T and Verizon's roaming plans is the the charge if you start getting any SMS or calls on your US number, like you might as well use the data because it's mm. it's cause either they they get you at like a dollar seventy nine a minute or some crazy thing like that, or that triggers the I, I forget what AT and T's equivalent of Travel Pass is, but yeah, got it, got it. No, so that was good. Um, yeah, he Heathrow, like the minute you step you step off the into the Queen's terminal. There's like eight thousand vending machines offering uh, offering oh, yeah. sim cards, which mm-hmm. which was actually very um, reassuring. Um, cause oh actually, yeah, yeah. Because I actually haven't seen those in, in SFO. There's that weird Uniqlo um, jacket vending machine, but I haven't seen any sim card um, vending machines there.
1: Yeah, even thinking through, like, coming through the international terminal there, yeah, you're right. You don't really see that. But, oh, yeah, you, you're totally right in Europe, like uh, Reykjavik, Rome, everywhere that I've come. And to Europe, you're just, like, totally bombarded with those things, which is kind of nice, like you said. I mean, it's, it's a good fail-safe in the event that roaming doesn't work for whatever reason. Yeah uh speaking of airports the one thing i did
0: note is that there was a lady uh in the um in the pre check line at sfo using a 12.9 inch ipad for her boarding pass oh boy and it was very very upsetting
1: yeah that was, hmm. speaking of things i would have some questions about huh
0: yeah it it was kind of a yeah it was a, it was, a it was a bit of a thing
1: yeah i've never really worked up the uh courage as as like you and Phil Schiller would say, Mm -hmm. you took,
0: (laughs) you you took the headphone jack out of your, everything on your house. mm -hmm, (laughs) That's right. You Um, plugged all your sprinklers. (laughs) That's the (laughs) homeowner equivalent.
1: Exactly. Um, yeah, I've never worked up the courage to use my watch as my boarding pass. I've done it for movie tickets at AMC before, but I've, and I, but I've never done it for, for boarding pass purposes
0: in the spring when i went to dc i did try it and um on virgin america the uh or alaska airlines whatever the hell it is now um the little reader that they have uh like you just can't fit your watch underneath well it. that's yeah that's so unfortunately that's the i uh, i was that jackass but luckily i had my phone quickly at hand so it was I'm it was sure. a 5 second bit of of shame and embarrassment <laughs> <laughs> right and uh, i will never
1: try it again right, exactly um, but, but even when your wrist does fit into the scanner, it's often where like, you know, you have to put your phone like face down. So then here you are like putting your wrist in and then like flipping it down. I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's no good. Yeah. Um, so that's fine.
0: Um, luckily PreCheck does work on international flights. I didn't, I wasn't sure that was going to be a thing. I know you like global entry will speed getting back into the country, but yeah, I didn't know that, uh, PreCheck was, um. Supported for almost all international carriers. So that, that's that's nice.
1: Yeah, we didn't we didn't know that either. Um, but yeah, that that is a nice nice little perk. Uh, how so? How was your experience coming back? Uh, did you did you download the? Because you don't have global entry, right? I uh, signed up for it, to, or I applied for it two months before the
0: trip, and I am still pending verification or whatever. So just yeah, whatever. <laughs> P- pending verification or just pending your interview? No, pending verification. Oh boy!
1: I think it has to do with the fact that like is this, it's just, is, like, it, is, this is this the chase problem?
0: <laughs> it is because I don't have a middle name, so therefore that screws me on everything. Oh, you don't? I have a very common name, and I don't have a middle name. Please don't. Oh, I did, please I don't didn't mess with my OPSEC. Huh? I didn't know that. I didn't know you didn't have a middle name. Oh yeah, no, it's it's not oh. that I'm secretive. Just like I don't have a birthday, I don't have a middle name. Got it. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. I I could see the birthday thing ca- causing trouble when traveling. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Huh? Well, okay.
0: Luckily, I never aged. That's good
1: right uh, um but you but you at least downloaded the the like the passport app I did not oh,
0: just because I was well. like I'm not going to take any international trips at least in the next six months, and hopefully I get the global entries thing sorted out, so I'm like no nah, i'm not, I, don't, I, I just got off an eleven hour flight, and I'm kind of not dealing with this
1: well, but you you do it all before you leave your anyway whatever so uh, how was your how was your experience coming back in
0: yeah, it was fine. the, the flight arrived early, and it was um. Like the passport control back in s f o was it took like fifteen minutes it was it was fine
1: that's not bad um yeah we we had this thing where even though we have global entry when we came back we came back in through Oakland this last European trip mm-hmm. and there were just happened to be two international flights that landed at the same time, and like oh oakland Oakland just had absolutely no idea how to handle that. i think I think the other flight was late it was so it wasn't supposed to be that way but Um, so we, I mean, we flew through customs, but the problem was like, they didn't know how to handle baggage claim at all. So we waited like 45 or 50 minutes for our bags. So it kind of, kind of defeated the purpose of having global entry, but.
0: That's fine. You were probably still full of pizza. (laughs) That's right. Well, and you, you had just spent 11 hours in swanky business class.
1: Uh, not on the way back. We flew Norwegian, which doesn't have business class. It has kind of just like kind of an upgraded coach, which is pretty nice, but not not business class.
0: Uh, economy plus.
1: If, yeah, more similar to economy plus than than business class.
0: Yeah, the, Nor- the Norwegians are thrifty. Yeah.
1: Well, it, it's a it's a nice airline, and can't kind of can't if you're not redeeming points, you kind of can't beat it going to and from Europe. Um. So what? So tell me, what did you what did you do when you were over there? I mean, I, I know I saw lots of museums, lots of just kind of walking around, but did you go to any like notable restaurants or do any kind of notable tours or anything?
0: No. So yeah. So I'm I'm like uh, I assume everybody's listening to every episode of this, so 180 episodes in, people know I'm a huge nerd. So there uh, therefore I'll like I just do museums and stuff and I just wander around. Like I'm big into architecture and city design and that kind of stuff so i'm always really interested in how a different place works and how things are uh like i love transit systems and all that kind of stuff so that's that was most of what i did and then it's it's mostly just like walking around and photography stuff so that was mostly it um like a a lot of cafes and stuff like that not so much on fancy restaurants just because i assume that like there's diminishing returns with that type of thing especially if you're traveling on your own yeah,
1: I've, I've, I've done the traveling alone thing before too. And I, I, the, the restaurant thing is weird. Cause it, it's when you go by yourself, like it, it can be kind of nice, but then it's, it's kind of weird sometimes. I don't know.
0: Like, like, I don't, I don't have like the shame of like sitting at the bar or like, or dining on my own. Like, that's not a thing. Like, and there was this one really, really nice, um, I forget what it was. It was, um, I'm trying to think what, what is the, what is the Middle Eastern country? Maybe it was a Lebanese restaurant. It was, it was very good. Um, uh but yeah it it was it was quite night and i uh ate on my own there so that was that was cool but no it's mostly just cafes and stuff like that that's uh most of where you get like a taste for like local stuff so right sure it was good um but yeah transit's my big thing, so London was amazing for that uh france uh much much much, much less different so. mm mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i got i i <laughs> i got stuck in a train station and that was really annoying yeah the yeah the the stations are Mazes. Well, no, it wasn't even that. So let me. So, oh boy. Okay. So first, London has an amazing transit system. Where first off, uh, supports Apple Pay. Um, and also they have a daily cap that's automatically calculated through your credit card number. So as long as you stay within like certain fare zones, basically, it's just like you at most are going to pay like nine pounds fifty. What's what's the equivalent of cents in the UK? pence maybe yeah let's let's go with that um so yeah they they cap that which is actually very very nice so you don't have to deal with any like nonsense transit passes it's just super easy to not have to think about wherever you're going but then when i got off the train in france to go try to get to my airbnb inside of the um uh, the train station they have like the underground metro system and then I go there, and then I I just I'm like oh, you trying to use the ticket machine to try to figure out. Okay, I know it doesn't support Apple Pay or contactless. So how do I just buy the equivalent of like a Clipper or an Oyster card? And it doesn't exist. So that's that's really annoying. So then I buy a ticket, and then I go take the and I, I take you have to say one train a uh, one subway train and then one light rail train to get to where my Airbnb was. And apparently I didn't buy the right type of ticket to support that type of transfer or whatever. So when I tried to exit the station uh, where my Airbnb was, it would not let me out. Hmm. And the thing is, there inside that station, there were no uh, machines to purchase a ticket inside of the train station. So it's impossible to, to get out so how how did this resolve itself so i had to be a shitty american and uh just mm. ask a bunch of people do you speak english yeah <laughs> which no like i i i wish i was wearing a like a bernie sanders t-shirts so people don't think i'm <laughs> so, like i have like a make american great again hat in my suitcase uh-huh um but anyway, after like so, there was a super nice lady who let me borrow her transit pass to get out of the station, and then because the the ticket purchase machine was literally like ten feet outside on on hmm. the other, so that was that was very very nice. Um, so yeah, so the French very very kind and accommodating of tourists, but that was <laughs> uh, it was just like so frustrating. I'm like th- this is this is like first the the subway car between the train station and that. Was just like it was like the dirtiest and dingiest train I've ever taken, and then not being able to get out after I'm already kind of stressed about that was kind of the icing on the cake.
1: Isn't it kind of crazy with the subway system too? How the doors basically open even before the train comes to a complete stop, and then they're open for maybe twelve seconds, and then they just immediately slam shut. Well, it's, no, it's 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 the opposite. Is that I found that almost all the time, and I even googled
0: this, and this was on a thing where. Uh, if you don't tell the door to open, it won't open.
1: Oh, yeah, that too, right?
0: Whereas, like, man, the, the London Underground and and the the London Bart was very like the DLR, the the Overground thing. That 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 was those were all they they spoil you.
1: Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I I found the yeah the the French system was pretty overwhelming.
0: Yeah, the the French light rail thing was actually. Like it was, they were fairly new trains and it was, um, like, again, it was super convenient just because it was just so close to the Airbnb location. But yeah, it was, uh, eventually I, like after like day two, I was kind of an expert on what to do with it. So it made sense, but it's impenetrable to, or sorry, inscrutable when you don't speak the language and it's just the signage, the way the, um, stations are designed, just all of it makes absolutely no sense. And you don't know if you're supposed to take uh, the J light rail with a square around it or the number nine with a circle around it, Mm -hmm. because there's absolutely like there's just no like one pager that says like there are three systems. Here's what they do. There's none of that anywhere.
1: Right. Yeah. And we I mean, we found um, even just when you were inside of a station, it would be really difficult to know where to go because there would be. 18 different platforms on six different levels. <laughs> and like you mentioned, the signage was very unclear. It, yeah, it, it's, hmm.
0: There was a uh, one, um, train station that I ended up, that ended up being like the transfer point for almost anything, which is Gare Saint Lazare or something. And that one, yeah, it's four stories and it is, uh, it's so not clear as to where anything is. Like in Google maps, will tell you, oh yeah, you transfer here and of course because the map is flat it's just like oh yeah it's 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 right there but you uh-huh. you have no idea where the fuck it is so frustrating but it's it, it's cool so overall yeah super super fun trip um only other minor notes i will have is that uh that i noticed uh, yum brands is really weird in europe hmm like pizza hut and kfc are like unironically valid things like there are sit down eat in pizza huts in london in nice in nice districts right oh yeah well and then they're like nice inside too it's like a nice sit-down place yeah yeah it's like a shaky's pizza yeah Mm -hmm. um so that was weird and then also like kfc too like just a lot of these like where you're like most people think of that as like that's maybe third tier fast food in in the united states where no that that's um yeah it's like pepsi in finland
1: yeah, well there and there was like um when I was in Stockholm, there was a TGI Fridays <laughs> that was like right in the center of town. And in Stockholm's like a, a pretty expensive nicer city. Mm-hmm. And this TGI Fridays, which was right on kind of like right on the edge of this like lagoon, was like <laughs> one of like the nicest restaurants. Like it were like one of the most expensive restaurants. Like it was cons- <laughs> it was considered to be like a a very very like nice spot to go. A <laughs> Michelin star TGI Fridays? <laughs> exactly yeah uh the blooming onion
0: or wait is that them i think that was that's out back
1: i think we went we went down this road before
0: oh there's the awesome blossom maybe that's chilies god never mind (laughs) (laughs) okay what else um uh, in, in Europe, uh, if you, if you have an American credit card, uh, you are basically the person at a Safeway writing a check. Oh, yeah, we have to sign every time. Yeah. You know. Well, so the upside of the UK is that contactless is supported almost anywhere. So if you're pay- if it's under thirty pounds, you can pay with your Apple Watch, and that's that's super cool. But if you have to swipe or insert your card, uh, because Americans use the god awful chip and signature thing instead of chip and pin, uh, they have to go track down a pen because they're not used to it and they will, uh, and then you have to sign for it. And then you, you're just, yeah, you you might as well be trying to pay in $2 bills. Right. Uh, and then, yeah, in, in France, everybody was carrying a baguette like completely unironically. And I thought that was, that was interesting. So you must have, you must have had some good food. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. Yeah, had an English breakfast, uh, had a yeah, I had a lot of pastries in France. It, it, it was good. Mm-hmm. Good coffee. Uh, we're spoiled here. Like we we have a lot of really good coffee shops. Where I mean, it, it it's fine. It's good. Like there are a lot of good cafes to take a minute and
1: just kind of like empty empty your SD card. I guess maybe in the UK, it's it's maybe a little more like in the US, but definitely in in France, like the the concept of just kind of like a black coffee is not so much a thing more it's more more espresso based mhm mhm you can get an americano but it's the, the the idea of just like a drip coffee is yeah a little, little harder to find,
0: yeah, but again for me like for me, I have to be in the mood for a black coffee, so that's that's not a that's luckily not much of a concern mhm yeah and last bit um the, the apparently you're supposed to arrive like three hours early for international flights flying out of France and um I was in and out of every checkpoint in like twelve minutes. So oh I just, yeah, I just sat on my butt for two and a half hours. Yeah, that was that was a
1: bummer. I could have I could have
0: slept in. I a mean, lot. I, think,
1: I think the official um, TSA guidance here in the US is three hours before an international departure.
0: Well, yeah, but but that's the thing, like like at least for me, like with pre
1: check, like I've I've
0: timed SFO to the point where I can. I know I'm going to regret this, but I can pretty solidly within 20 minutes time being ready for boarding and and security lines and that kind of stuff, where I only have to arrive like an hour and 10 minutes before departure. Right. Yeah. Anyway, that was fun. Good. Well, I'm glad yeah. you had a good trip. Yeah. Apple Watch is a, is a champ. Hmm. Uh, you do anything
1: about recently? Uh. Well, certainly not. Not like you. No. Oh, I'm sure he um, did. <laughs> no, it's been kind of a lot of, you know, stuff around the house, little projects here and there.
0: I assume we... we you, wait, we talked about this offline. You you have a very exciting weekend ahead of you.
1: <laughs> exciting is one word for it, yeah. We'll see how it goes. You, you're going to get
0: your Dynex crimping
1: kit? <laughs> uh-huh, that's right, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm going to run... run. E- could do a couple Ethernet lines. Uh, one here to the office, and then one to... The living rooms. I've got three euros now. You know, one of them is obviously hardwired because that's the one that's connected to the modem. But then the other two are just wirelessly connected. Um, And I'm I'm hopeful that by hardwiring them, I can significantly improve my Wi-Fi here in the house. Because I still, even with the new iPhone, have had a couple of issues. And I I know I've (laughs) said on the show if I had like one more issue with a new phone i was going to throw this whole system out but it's really expensive to replace your entire networking setup so and this hard this ethernet thing is something i would want to do regardless so i'm going to give that a shot i'm really hopeful that that you know kind of props up this euro network and if that doesn't work then i'm i'm really going to have to rethink things but you can you can join
0: um, the ubiquity like Linux sysadmin club. <laughs> it's very difficult to set up, but it's very it's very rewarding and and, and so if Euro uh, doesn't doesn't pay off, you can always do that.
1: Well, I I get, like, I don't I don't know if the problem is just as simple as the fact that so iOS doesn't have any sort of smart software or anything to dynamically switch between access points on a mesh network. And I I, I mean, I think one of the problems I'm having is literally just like if I'm sitting next to the Eero here in the office, but I had walked over from the family room, like my phone just stays connected to that family room Eero and doesn't transfer over here, or at least doesn't transfer right away. So there's like this period of time where the signal is just kind of crappy, and then it eventually figures it out. I thought the whole thing was
0: that when you get into range of a different access point with the same SSID, the original access point you're connected to like decreases its transmit power to bump you off. And then you get
1: handshaken to the other one. That's kind of what I thought too. And that's what Eero ad, that's one of the things Eero advertises itself as doing. Um, and that's one of the things that I'm hopeful is better. Once all the Eros are just hardwired, like maybe, maybe that, handoff process will be a little bit better i i don't know we'll see um i mean at the very least right i mean one of the things that you what happens in a mesh network is when these satellite um eros are connected to the main one wirelessly you lose a lot of throughput by doing that so you know when i'm connected to that family room ero that's hooked up to the cable modem i'm getting you know my basically my full you know 250 down or whatever but then when I'm connected to the Eero here in the office, which is wirelessly connected, I'm getting like a third of that. So, you know, when I'm when I have this thing hardwired then the, then they'll all just kind of be the same. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it'll be a fun project, but it's definitely taking me out of my comfort zone in a lot of ways where I had to buy a drywall saw, which is apparently a thing. And I'm going yeah. to have to cut a like two by four inch rectangular hole in the wall because that's where the little uh dual ethernet wall plate's gonna go you um, buy some fish tape some what some fish tape i don't know what that is how are you gonna run the cable well no so the cable's just gonna be running outside um huh? well okay so it's it's so the the cable's gonna go from the euro that's in the family room kind of a long just along the baseboard because it's not a very long run. Well, so then, the why do you out-
0: need to put it in the wall at all?
1: Well, so because it, it, it's going to go outside. So the um, so there's going to be a you know wall plate with two tube jacks. So then cables will plug into that, and then they're going to run through the wall, and then I'm going to have to drill two small holes on the outside of the house, and then the wires will go out there.
0: Uh, two quick things. I, I I imagine Brand will help you out uh and, oh yeah and, and carry the cable and i yes. assume in three months he will chew through the cable
1: <laughs> um this the, the cables will be i mean because that's the other thing is that i'm gonna have to then kind of tidy up the cables so they'll, they'll be pretty out of the way and in areas of the house where he's not really a lot so i'm not i'm not concerned about that um one of the things I am a little concerned about though is so you know, you when you run Ethernet outside, you have to buy these, you know, special like UV protected outdoor rated Ethernet cables. If you if you put just a regular Ethernet cable outside, it basically just disintegrates like in a matter of a couple months. Yeah. Um but in reading a bunch of reviews and stuff, it sounds like these outdoor cables are also kinda hit or miss. So, you know it's going to be quite a bit of effort this weekend and it's going to be a bummer if in like a year or two, these cables are just bad. Um, but you know, we'll see.
0: Yeah. I see. Isn't there like a wire track or something that you can like, um, like sheet them in?
1: Uh, there is, but those start to get kind of bulky and I'm already trying to be fairly cognizant of how this ends up looking. Mm-hmm. Um, cause another problem is I could, and like I've seen people ask this question on the internet and like nobody has the answer but for whatever reason all these companies that make these outdoor ethernet cables don't make them in white they only make them in black um <laughs> which actually I after kind of thinking about it a little more and changing up the way I was going to run some of the lines I think black's actually going to end up being maybe better than than white in spots but um I'm still trying to be very cognizant of how this ends up looking at the end of the day. So, so yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. There's lots and lots that can go wrong in this process, mostly around sawing that rectangular hole in the wall. But, um but we'll That'd see. Be good. Yeah. I had to
0: buy a caulking gun. Ooh, that's, that's an essential, uh, garage, uh, staple.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Wait actually what would you need that, what would you need that for
1: so you want that because you know you' I'm gonna drill these two little holes in the outside of the house to run the cable oh uh, yeah and then like you, wanna, yeah, you wanna yeah you want to then um seal it up seal it up exactly um so yeah we'll we'll see um and then if I'm extra ambitious this weekend we the nest had been doing a promotion on their smart doorbell the the nest hello. Mm-hmm. which is actually like the wire cutters upgrade pick but the reason that they don't really recommend it is because it's typically too expensive but Nest was doing a promotion which brought it down to the same price as the one that the wire cutter does recommend so um I convinced the lady friend to let us purchase that and that um that's going to be another I think little project. It even even the the process to determine cuz this is like a wired doorbell. It's not like just battery operated, so there's there's kind of more to it than you would think. So even just like validating that it was going to work in the house was like a total process where I had to find like the, you know, the the actual doorbell itself, which fortunately in our house is is pretty easy to spot. But then that's connected to a transformer, which is like in a different part of the house, which I just happened to stumble upon. It's kind of a whole a whole thing. So the fact that just ensuring that it was compatible was kind of challenging <laughs> makes me a little nervous about how the installation is going to go. But <laughs> uh, we'll see.
0: Yeah, because normally most smart home stuff doesn't have the risk of electrocution, but this might.
1: Right. Yeah, no, Yeah. Be definitely one of the steps is... You know, hey, you, you got you got to turn off the power to the. Uh, which you know what? I mean, maybe I'm just kind of dumb. Well, I mean, I know I'm dumb when it comes to house stuff, but <laughs> um, I actually didn't really realize that doorbells were like like wired with electricity. Hmm? I, mean, I guess I didn't really. I guess I didn't really figure. Like, I guess I guess maybe I assumed that they were just kind of mechanical. Like, I don't know. I didn't realize that there was power involved. Um, huh. But but there very much is. Yeah,
0: they definitely are. Um so I'm guessing because I assume you researched it, um
1: the August version of the video doorbell, not very good. It's it was a little more bulky. Um the, the nice thing with the nest one, and this was a an understandable requirement of the lady friend, is it? Well, it looks it, it, it looks like a doorbell. Yeah, exactly. It's, and it's small, which is like another, you know. The problem with like the battery operated ones is, I mean, obviously installation is is a thousand times easier, but they're they're pretty bulky. Like the um, the lady friend's parents have one of those ring doorbells, and they they oh, just are have gigantic. well, and they have the battery operated one. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's 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 pretty big. I mean, it's it's nice because like they had I, like repainted their house or something, did something where they kind of needed to move the doorbell, and that was a super easy process, mm-hmm. which it would not be here. Um, so there are some advantages, but yeah, they're just, they're a little bit bigger. And this, this Nest thing is, is pretty small.
0: And does, because I have the Nest video camera, does Nest Hello, is it still reasonably functional without a subscription or are you going to get I hooked into so. a 5 or $10 subscription?
1: No, I think the subscription's mostly around some security features, which we're not going to need because we've got the Xfinity security system and then also like the archival of video, like which is kind of like what Canary wants you to buy into as well. Mm-hmm. And I just don't really see a scenario where we would really need to go back ten days in the past and look at video. So yeah, uh, potentially a a big weekend on the uh, the smart home front. Which um, I don't know if we if we want to maybe transition into some additional follow up here, but <laughs> let's do it. Our agenda is um, looking
0: a little uh, bushy.
1: <laughs> I don't know if you saw, but I, I put some, but put this in the notes um, or in the in the thing rather. Oh yeah, your the, hue switch, the hue, the, the hue switch follow up. So if, if you look at that link, this is a howtogeek.com dot com link. Um, this guy Craig Lloyd came up with a really really nifty solution for these oh. dimmer switches. Um, yeah.
0: So is he? Is he stacking the... Because they make those magnetic covers for, hey, stop using this switch. Did, did he just stack the dimmer switch on top of it?
1: That's exactly right. This is a crafty um, guy. Yeah. And, and, you know, actually, it's funny looking at this article again. This is actually just from, like, the end of August of this year. So this is, like... Because one of the things that I had thought of was, like, damn, I wish I would have, like, realized this, like, even in our last apartment... <laughs> Because, you know, we, I think I've talked about this on the show. We just did the thing where we, we put the dimmer switch like right next to the regular light switch. Yeah. Which, you know, whatever. It, it worked. But it yeah. wasn't the the nicest. So, yeah. this I'll put this in the notes. Um, there's just like this one specific type of um, light switch cover that you can buy on Amazon. That's like the exact dimensions of the uh, Philips Hue dimmer switch. Mm -hmm. Um, and like you said, the the cover itself is magnetic that, that causes it to then stick to your light switch wall plate. And then I think this guide recommends that you then go out and buy some additional magnets that you can then glue to the back of the switch cover to then, you know, have the dimmer switch. Yeah. Um, but I actually just took the magnets off of the, um, little, kind of wall plate thing that the dimmer switches come with and then i just glued those to the back of the um light switch cover so i didn't have to buy any additional magnets and that that worked just fine Um, the only thing um and i I, part of this i think is on me because the the wall plate covers that i had recently installed here are like the screwless type where the screws are actually underneath the plastic Mm -hmm. so you don't you don't actually see them so they look nicer which now doesn't matter because they're covered <laughs> up. Um, but that's besides the point. Um, so the, the magnet wasn't super strong. So I actually ended up buying just a little bit of like double-sided adhesive and kind of supplemented the magnet with that. Um, and I found that I actually needed to do that on the back of the uh, dimmer switches as well. The The magnet connection from the back of the switch cover to the dimmer switch like, was fine, but it was a little loose and would kind of move around some when you would use it. So, again, just putting a little bit of double-sided adhesive totally solved that. Um, so, I've actually gone and I've pretty much done this through the whole house now. Um, and it... Well, it look, go
0: ahead. So, I, I don't think we've covered it. How... Because you, like, last month went pretty much all in on Hue lights. So, how's that working out?
1: Oh uh, yeah, I mean, well, I'm full, full on in now. So it's um, every room of the house, with the exception of the guest room. Now is all uh, Philips Hue, and it's it's really really nice. Um, I still I still you know need to tweak things here and there, but but it's yeah, it's pretty great. The app is really slick. You can do some great things with Lady in a Can routines. Um, yeah, it's it's really, really good stuff. And now with the the, the, the dimmer switch has always been kind of the weak part to the setup. And now that, now that that's been, you know, mostly solved, I mean, it's, you know, doesn't look spectacular, but it, it definitely looks better than, than it did before.
0: Well, and functionally, it's amazing. Oh yeah. Especially uh, since a quick uh, callback to like a year and a half ago when you recommended it, uh, the iConnect Hue app. Allowing you to like uh, assign like double click options, right, and stuff like that. Where like if I hold down the off button on the dimmer switch by the front door, that'll turn off all the lights, not just the room that I'm in. Exactly.
1: So yeah, stuff no, that's, like that's amazing. Yeah, that we did that at the apartment, and I haven't the the one I haven't set up yet is is by the entry, but I'm gonna do that also this weekend. <laughs> busy busy weekend here. Uh, um, no, no sleep. It's okay. Yeah um so yeah really really happy with um with how these how these turned out
0: on this how-to geek page i appreciate that underneath the easiest method there's a related article install light switch guards to keep people from turning off your smart bulbs (laughs) (laughs) because that
1: is (laughs) yeah it proves how fragile the system is yeah 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 um yeah, the, um, the actual, the, the thing I appreciate about this setup too, is that in the event you do need to access the light switch underneath, it's, it's really easy to do so. Yeah. I can't, can't really think of a, a reason why you'd need to, but you're, it's not like, I guess I'd be a little more nervous if this was like some permanent thing where like it would be a huge project to actually get to the light switch underneath.
0: All right, let's, let's, let's blow through some follow-up. So we talked about this before, um. The Crate & Barrel outlet in Berkeley on 4th Street closed down in March-ish and is being replaced by some type of Amazon uh, retail concept. And we now know, due to signage that was just put outside of it, uh, it is going to be the uh, four-star retail concept that uh, we talked about a couple of weeks ago, where it's kind of like an Amazon uh, bookstore, like the one that we visited in San Jose. Uh, But everything in the store will be rated four or more stars on Amazon, and the prices will fluctuate um, as they do uh, hourly on
1: Amazon.com.
0: So that's uh, kind of cool.
1: Yeah, I'm very interested to see what that store is
0: like. And I assume we'll talk about this next week or soon when we've had a chance to visit. But uh, also, uh, there is now an Amazon Go store. That's open in the financial district.
1: I know. Shame, shame on me for not being there today, but it, well, yeah. but it probably or, would have been guess yeah, yesterday or whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. probably. That's true.
0: You had to wait two weeks. Like, well, it's like, uh, you'd wait two weeks to go see the Salesforce transit center, but except you can't now,
1: <laughs> which I did. And then I'm glad I went because it's now closed again. Oh boy. All right. So yeah, so that's cool. Um, don't know when
0: it's going to open. Um, but it's going to be fairly interesting um yeah apparently every uh <laughs> according to this Berkeleyside.com article uh apparently everybody every small independent retailer on uh fourth street hates it and as they probably should yeah amazon kind of doesn't care and even though you kind of want to root for amazon it's like i'm i'm much more excited about the amazon go concepts like disrupting God, i gotta hate that word but like kind of like yeah, that's the only word I can think of. Disrupting like 7 Elevens and like Walgreens, because those things are worthy of disruption. Uh the Amazon four star and the Amazon bookstore concepts less enthused about those, but I mean it's it's whatever. I'm not really sure it's worse than um a uh a Barnes and Noble or something like that. But mm-hmm. yeah, but Amazon's a little they're 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 a little Amazon y. Uh, something that you threw in here, uh, TiVo, uh, has a new version of their iOS app.
1: Finally, this is, this is like a true good use of finally the TiVo iOS app has been just completely abandoned for years. I mean, it would get occasional bug fixes, but had never even been made compatible for any screen. I think like larger than like a 4s like I don't even think it got upgraded to the iPhone 5 screen size, um. So you just have these black bars on the the top and bottom of the app, and so they it came out with a completely redesigned user interface, which brings the app more in line with the what's what's that new TiVo interface called? Hydra. Like Hydra, yeah. Brings it more in line with that, but then also adapts the. I also always forget the name of this, the with the dynamic scaling or something in iOS or the mm-hmm. whatever it's called. Um where now it, it works basically on every iPhone screen resolution. And yeah, it's it's pretty pretty slick. I mean I, I know you don't particularly care for the the Hydra interface, but um I actually think it looks real nice on the phone. Um and it's you know it's it's an app that I use a fair bit to um, you know, manage recordings and stuff. So super happy that it, it finally got an update. Good. Yeah. Um, yeah. In a pinch.
0: Um, yeah. The TO app is pretty great. Uh, this is, I think it's also you. Uh, OmniFocus now supports, um, the new version of uh, the complications on the, the module. What's, what's it called?
1: Modular infograph. The, the infograph. Yeah. So it, it was the, you know, Jason Snell, I think has been really good about hammering this point home, which is just the, the whole Apple watch, watch face situation, especially with series four is a, is a total mess. Um, and Apple made the, had made the decision as part of these new infograph faces that the little small circular complications were actually going to be a different spec and that third-party developers would have to update their Apple Watch apps to make their existing complications compatible with these new watch faces. And so OmniFocus, you know, especially given that they just came out with a completely new version for the Mac, you you know, kind of had a lot going on. So it took them a couple of weeks to update their Apple Watch complications to the new Infograph standard. But they've done so, and I think have done so in a really, really nice way. I've, I've always been a fan of having the OmniFocus complication on my watch, and it, it looks really nice now, where you know it used to just be this purple um, number, and now um, it actually dynamically changes color based on whether um, due items are coming up so they're in yellow or whether they're now past due so that they're now in red. Um, it looks, looks really nice and I'm super happy to have it back. We might have already talked about this. Apple pay now accepted at CVS.
0: Well, Apple CVS was never part of that currency thing, right? That was a right. I thought Aide they, I thought they were, no, I thought they were. Oh yeah. Well, so or they, or like they were going to be or whatever. So they support Apple pay now. That's cool. Uh, something about discover card. Yeah the more Apple pay the better that's yeah, mm-hmm. something we can learn from the europeans uh let's uh, scooters
1: have you have you had a chance to uh, ride a, a skip scooter in the east cut <laughs> i have not ridden one but i've seen them well, there's tossed aside on the sidewalk in the east cut yes see here here's the thing i I'm, I'm actually against that
0: now but, like now that like i i don't like the scooters but now that it is sanctioned and especially since the city told the um, the rule violators to go fuck off, like I, I'm, I'm okay with the scooters. I still think they're terrible, but in terms of like the vandalism and the haphazardness, the way that or the way that people treat them, not not so much down with
1: that anymore. Well, yeah, I I, I was never really a fan, fan mm. of people like throwing this, these things in the bay and stuff i would
0: see whenever you saw a bird scooter being excavated from on the embarcadero kind of a little <laughs> part of me uh also uh, literally stepping out of the train station in france fucking bird scooters everywhere oh yeah, oh, yeah. it was very upsetting mm-hmm. anyway but yeah so the scooters yeah so um as of october 15th um and I forget who the, I don't know if there's one or two other providers. Um, they are now allowed to put out like, I think like a thousand scooters across the city. So I, I, my, I hope they have a productive, um, like trial year. Cause I like, I, I new transit options are always good. I still think the, these are the province of a lot of jackassery, but, um, yeah. But apparently lime is, uh, <laughs> uh, they sued uh, for an injunction uh, because of uh, scooter
1: discrimination. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Branson sounds pissed too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Branson, Branson's very upset. He's he's a big big lime fan. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah. So.
0: Oh man, I forgot that Lime is backed by Uber. Is it really? that really? Come- because i've uh that's that's the lead of this bloomberg article you know you you can trust every bloomberg story uh, huh, hmm, hmm. there's just like i i i understand so little of the whole like uh apple amazon super micro like hacked chips thing where i can't really speak confidently about it but it, i'm so shocked that it's been three weeks and they're just not even saying a word even though every everybody has basically just said that, that that the whole thing's
1: ridiculous. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't understand the the technical side of it at all. Well, apparently because it's made up. (laughs) Right. Or like it doesn't check out. But I certainly do understand the implications of a CEO of a major public company like Tim Cook coming out and flat out denying something like that happened to then have it actually have happened. Like he's not going to needlessly expose himself to that kind of risk unless he is, one thousand percent confident that
0: yeah it's it's like tim cook saying he's going to take his uh, company private for four hundred twenty dollars a share you just you just don't do that
1: funding secured
0: (laughs) um so yeah so the the, yeah uh the lime's pissed at the sfmta and then lastly, before we get into other stuff, uh, Allbirds has uh, $50 million in new funding. Um, sounds like
1: uh, a very expensive pair of shoes. Uh, well, but more importantly, based on some Instagram story... Uh, it's a busy week, so we're do, not going to... What, what do you call those? Posts? I don't, I don't know what those are called. Uh, the 24-hour ones? Yeah. Stories. Oh, so each individual thing is just a story. Yeah. I see. uh um,
0: we, we it's a busy week so we're going to hold off on that till next okay. week we will we will leave did you, people in suspense did you we did are going to keep moving did you did you purchase a pair you so did didn't you so millennials
1: they're, they're really are
0: millennials are um <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to main topics uh also from bloomberg uh millennials kill again what is victim american cheese i only put this in here because of you um because as a member yeah, people can go back to I think it's episode 160 or so, uh d'oeuvre singles when you used to talk about uh just eating a uh cellophane-wrapped single piece of American cheese. Well, I would usually eat more than one, but okay. Mm. <laughs> Did you yeah. Um so uh apparently uh young people are not down with American cheese. Um and uh, they're moving on to uh, fancier things, uh, fancier specialty cheeses like Asiago and that kind of stuff, uh, where, uh, yeah, uh, nobody wants American cheese anymore.
1: I mean, yeah, I, I don't really think I'd ever find myself eating American cheese, but it was a staple of my childhood. So it, it saddens me a little bit this, to see it go away. Yeah.
0: It's, yeah,
1: I, 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 I mostly, most of
0: my animus for... um Oh, damn autoplay video on bloomberg uh we'll talk about this next week but uh tim cook's speech about privacy is very problematic yeah i haven't had a chance to listen to that i saw yeah. some headlines but so we'll we'll table it but um yeah it's 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 pretty problematic uh my issue with american cheese is that um there are a lot of people who have the uh, really unfortunate reality of thinking that a grilled cheese is just two slices of like white bread and american cheese and I just think that's a travesty.
1: I mean, that's that's what I had growing up. Come to you had machine. I know you had your you had your fancy Asiago avocado with bacon. <laughs> with thing, bacon, but...
0: no, that's not a, that's not a grilled cheese. That's a sandwich.
1: <laughs> Might as well you're, you're making wait, a club wait, sandwich. Wait, now. wait, wait is is a grilled
0: cheese not a sandwich? That's actually a really interesting question, and I would say no, it's not. Also, what is it? it? It's it's delightful.
1: Mm-mm, mm-mm,
0: that doesn't work. I don't think it's a sandwich. A sandwich implies so that it, there's other stuff. If you just stick um, some arugula between two slices of bread, is that a sandwich? Yes. Do you pause for a long time? You don't even believe that yourself.
1: <laughs> no, I I think it is. I mean, I I guess I was trying to think of like. Is a hot dog a sandwich? If we're just recycling two. No, mayonnaise? a hot dog. A hot dog is a, is a hot dog. It's like a separate food category. So are, is what you're saying a grilled cheese is like its own category. Yeah. Okay. That's I can accept that. Is 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 pizza just an open face
0: sandwich? No. No. Exactly.
1: Okay.
0: Oh goodness. All right. What are we? What is what is snack news? The hell is that was not about.
1: I don't know you that you you had the um the ra- the rare Ooh. use of uh, i think like the multi <laughs> red rotating light emoji oh hold on i got to find this in uh, i i f- there's b- bad snack news i think this i think this happened when you were on your trip
0: it was and i forgot to post this and i let me find uh a picture so you know that um foreign countries get wacky foods that we don't right oh yeah i do yes um where is it? You can edit out the
1: silence. The the listeners will never even knew know it was there. <laughs> you can leave <laughs> that one in, though. I'll, I'll leave that one in, though. It's harder to edit out stuff like that. So,
0: France has weird snacks. And whenever this file eventually loads, um, you know that I, along with Darth, am a potato chip connoisseur. Oh man, did you did you like do you smuggle these back into the country? No, that that is a <laughs> that is a picture from the Airbnb. Oh. Because it was actually really uh convenient like the, the Airbnb was on top of a grocery store. Oh. Like it was literally the most convenient <laughs> uh, like uh, location ever. Um and they had three there were there were there were probably like five interesting f- uh, like uh wacky flavors of potato chips but i had to try um cheeseburger lays roast chicken lays and then bolognese and um the roast chicken thing is the most disgusting thing i've ever tasted in my entire life as one would expect the cheeseburger ones are surprisingly good they taste exactly like uh in and out animal style fries and mm-hmm. i wish we had those in the united states hmm and then there's also whatever twee nuts are that are um I don't even know what they are, but they uh I already forgot. But the the they those were surprisingly uh good too. So that is my gross slash amazing snack news. The bolognese chips were they're fine.
1: Yeah, Lay's it's funny, Lay's does this exact same thing in the US too, where like every year they come out with like a handful of wacky flavors and then I think typically they have people like vote on what their favorite one is and then that becomes like a flavor for some longer period of time or something.
0: Yeah, but I think um, the
1: wackiest one we've ever gotten was
0: like there was one that was like truffle aioli fries which that was that wasn't I mean there's, there's some there's some pretty
1: crazy ones. Um, the, cr- the crispy taco ones were disgusting. Um, but it's, it's kind of funny, the experience you had with these three, because it it very much mirrors the experience I've had with the ones here, which is some of them are actually like surprisingly good and you would like legitimately want to continue to buy them. Some of them would just be kind of "Eh, so, so we would kind of take them or leave them. And then, yeah, some are just outright abominations. So it's, yeah, you get, you got the, the full spread there. Yeah.
0: Roast chicken. I, I I should have gotten the fromage ones but they that was yeah no no not not good.
1: Not I think good. I think the ones over here and these these actually might have well, been like I think the first I think they've stopped doing
0: the 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 whole campaign was called do us a flavor which again pretty pretty good marketing.
1: Well but they um, they did something last year or maybe even earlier this year where they had like flavors that were regionalized so, like, in Chicago, they had a deep-dish pizza one. Oh, no. Uh, I forget what the one in California was. Um, that might have been the West Coast truffle fries one. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Uh, so, they they I mean, they continue to do wacky flavor stuff. Yeah. Which I appreciate. I, I like... I like wacky food like that's Oreos are are big on this, too. They come out. I I think I think I think we've had this discussion before, but I. Yeah, I like the uh, the innovators at Nabisco have have done some some fine work with uh, with Oreos. Very briefly, Oreos in every form are gross unless you
0: get just the plain single stuff Oreos. You drop them into
1: a glass of milk and fish it out with a spoon after six seconds. I mean I don't at me. I I I don't disagree with anything about that method and I I've, I've done that and I I very much enjoy it. But man, you're you're limiting the scope of your enjoyment of Oreos. But most Oreo like I here's the thing.
0: I keep an open mind. Like I I am a person who enjoys food. But uh it's not pumpkin spice, but there was one time like they they have ones around Halloween time that are that are orange. I forget what the filling is. I've tried the birthday cake ones. I've tried the Reese's filling ones, and I've tried the, I think, um, red velvet ones. Everything but the classic Oreos are gross,
1: and classic Oreos are gross unless they're in milk. The orange Halloween Oreos are just regular Oreos with where the cream is orange colored. I don't think so. Or
0: maybe the version I had was some weird flavor, because they it definitely be. did not taste normal. Yeah, but also going back to to my the canonical method of how to eat Oreos. It's not just dunking um, Oreos in milk. It is that you have to completely submerge it and fish it out with a spoon.
1: No, I, I I get it. I've I've definitely done that. And then the drinking the milk at the end is an is an absolute joy. Like I I get everything about that. But um, oh man, there's there's a lot of good Oreo flavors out there. Mm. But agree to disagree. Yeah,
0: American cheese Oreos are pretty
1: (laughs) (laughs) the millennials don't like those either
0: yeah give it time i'm sure they'll
1: run out of ideas
0: uh all right let's uh we have probably like 20 minutes to talk about uh t-word stuff so i will let you drive
1: um yeah so let's um i mean let's let's do the the big thing here which is the um upcoming apple event i mean that's obviously the most timely i think this is probably going to be our last program before that event so it's our last chance to speculate um, I guess it's not worth going through like what we necessarily like expect from the event. I like every other Apple event from the last handful of years, like literally everything about this event has leaked. Um, but I guess like, I just, I'm curious to hear from you. Like, is there anything from this event that you're hoping for or anything that you're particularly interested in? Or is, is this event just like totally not interesting to you? It depends. Um,
0: sorry, making sure I'm not on mute. Um, I, I don't care about iPads at all. Um, as my screen time reports will show. So that's not that interesting to me. Um, like if there's something super revolutionary about the iPad pro, um, like, I mean, I want it to be a mature product that Apple keeps iterating on. So that's, that's, that's cool. But no, it's not that much interest to me. Um, I think that like the more interesting question is, uh, do Max make an appearance at this event? And if so, that is the interesting part to me. And I will, uh, flip this around on you and ask, will max be present?
1: I think so. Yeah. I I think this, this is finally going to be where, um, we see some kind of new Mac laptop. I mean, it's, it's what German's been reporting for some time and his track record has been pretty solid the last couple of years. So if he says it's going to happen, I tend to believe it's going to, um, the the rest of the mac line with like a new mac mini and new imax all that seems to be a little more fuzzy but there certainly is a lot of momentum around the the idea that apple's going to introduce some kind of new you know 999 it's hard to call anything apple entry level but <laughs> some kind of lower cost mac laptop Um, but I guess kind of to Apple's credit, you know, I, obviously I, I hammer them over and over again about just the (laughs) crazy amount of leaks that have been coming out of the company recently. Um, this actually is a product that I feel like we, we don't know a ton about, like we, we don't really know whether it's going to be all USB-C, we don't know what, type of keyboard is going to be used like we can definitely make a lot of educated guesses but so i have two questions do you honestly think apple is
0: ever going to ship a non-desktop machine with USB A
1: on it i think no well i i would say no but I, man jason brings up a really good point which he did on this week's upgrade draft um around i mean that's just a non-starter for education and i mean maybe apple even though they did that event earlier this year that was education focused maybe they they just don't really care and they'll say deal with USB-C or don't don't buy Max or hey here's an iPad with a Logitech Crayon um but yeah I I don't know it seems crazy to limit your market in the way that going USB-C only would
0: <laughs> like the pro machines but yeah um okay and then this is this is not related to anything really. I, but I want to know: Do you think Apple ha- faces any competition from Chromebooks? And I know, like people can go back to two thousand seven, and every, and there were every every uh, pundit and, and jackass on the web was writing, Apple's doomed if they don't make a netbook. But with Chromebooks making such inroads in education and the MacBook Air being just because I think it's only 899 or 999 because it's the only competitive laptop that they offer for schools to buy in mass do you think they care enough to have a low cost computer i'm not saying 299 or anything like that but do you think it's vital to them to have a competitive computer at like the 750 to 900 price point.
1: I mean, I I think so, but I'm not even sure that's good enough, right? Cuz a lot of these Chromebooks are like 3-400 bucks, right? Well, yeah, but I th- but so but that's the thing where
0: I think if you tell education, hey, it's it's the stuff that Google is maybe sketchily in an anti-competitive way subsidizing um to uh, an insane degree and it and they have this back end software for it so therefore it's just an insane deal for 300 but it's also a, a computer that's essentially only a web browser so i think you there's a lot of leeway with that but i think if you tell um schools that the only computer you can buy that's worth a damn that's not a, a, a like a macbook one that you can't even plug like an external hard drive in and charge at the same time like is saying that you you have to be in for $1500 I think that's a non-starter. Where I think, like them making a revamped Retina MacBook Air at the eight ninety nine price does a lot to keep Apple in education for a generation
1: that kind of doesn't care about computers that much. I don't know. I maybe. I mean, you're right. I mean, it's definitely a step in the right direction. But I, I don't, I don't really know if that even that would be enough, though. Like, I just, it's, it would still be so far above where a lot of these Chromebooks are. And it's not even the fact that just the Chromebooks are so much cheaper, but it's the fact that they really do everything that students need them to do. Um, And that, that applies both in, you know, like primary school education, but then also like think about a typical college student now where, I mean, I think for an overwhelming majority of college students, you could totally more than get by with a Chromebook and a smartphone. Like, I, There's really no, I mean, obviously I'm talking to the wrong person here and it, both you and me, like we're not these people, but um, I would have to imagine again, the overwhelming majority of students would be perfectly content with a, with a Chromebook and either like an, some kind of pixel phone or iPhone or whatever. <laughs> Um, I, I would push back on that
0: only on the college student thing. I think actually college is one of the places where I think that is why what the product I'm suggesting of like an 899 decent modern laptop is actually critically important just because Apple might be, might be losing the message, um, and any relevance in education by having computers that are just too limited and weird and crappy at too expensive a price point. But I think it's also doubly important because like, I think the part where you say that Chromebook's are fine for education. I think that's true in K through twelve, but I think that's maybe not the case in college. I think there is still far more reason to need a traditional full actual computer in in that market. Like what whether you're like a statistics student or somebody who has to run like SPSS and like different stuff like that, or you need like well, okay. mathematical like if you need yeah. like actual things. Where sure, like if you're a liberal arts major and you're just it, that's, this is not a slight at all, but I'm saying like, if you're, I mean, doing, you're saying as, as, as a liberal arts major, you're not, no, but, I'm saying like, but that's like the kind of stuff where like, sure, all, most of what you do can be handled inside of Google docs and Dropbox and that kind of stuff. And, and that, and that's totally fine. Um, like wouldn't work for me, but I think that, yeah, I, I think like undergraduate and post-grad stuff like that is something where a real computer actually does matter. Um, and Chromebooks you can get by in, in uh, K through 12. But I think in private schools and other places where maybe money is more plentiful, um, having a compelling actual computer is still a good option before defaulting just to these um, like
1: shitbox HP and, and Dell Chromebooks that they're just sla- slapping together. I, you you bring up a lot of fair points there, and I the the pricing issue with Macs is real, and it's it, it's always been real. Um, well,
0: and it's I, been I, exacerbated with this recent generation of just like what is, what is the MacBook, which is like again something that was probably meant to replace the MacBook Air years ago, but they just haven't been
1: able to get the prices down
0: uh, to a level that is satisfactory with Apple's margin demands. Well, but um, I, but and, I would
1: I guess what I would say though is that I think the pricing issues are kind of secondary with this latest generation of Macs, with the the first being that. They're just not very good. I mean, the, the well, sure, the, like the, the town and yeah, the, the reliability. Like yeah,
0: having the, a, a computer you can't eat over. Not to make it weird, but yeah, having having that in schools is probably
1: like the the keyboard's going to die within a week. Well, but even but even broadening this outside of schools, I just just for anybody looking to buy a Mac, the keyboards have been universally panned, both just for use and reliability. Apple has rallied around USB-C, even though most peripheral uh, makers haven't. It's the, the modern Macs are just kind of a mess. Um, and Apple's emphasizing thinness to a degree that just doesn't make sense anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so uh, price is something that they need to address, but there's, there's a lot that Apple needs to address in the Mac. And next week's event's not going to be it because we're not going to see some entry-level Mac come out with some brand new keyboard that's better than what their $2,000 Pro laptops have. Like, I mean, that would be crazy. Um, so, I mean, yeah, next week we might get a more compelling sub-$1,000 Mac, which would start to address some of the pricing concerns, but it's, it's not going to address all these other concerns, which I think are an even bigger problem for the Mac. I appreciate that
0: there is one totally non-problematic mac which is the 27 inch 5k iMac (laughs) such a champ literally i know i've jinxed it but literally never given me a problem still so fast still so great um all right so what is there anything else rumored at the event or anything so yeah it's just gonna be ipads i assume we're gonna see um because adobe max i mean everything's called max these days um Max, uh, they debuted or gave a preview of the um, almost full-featured version of Photoshop for iPad. So I assume that's probably going to be on stage because, like, there there are only so many applications that you can show as being pro um, pro apps that really take advantage of the pro hardware that the iPad Pro is supposed to encompass. And Apple probably isn't um, like, I don't think there's an imminent release of Final Cut Pro for iOS coming anytime soon. So I assume it has to be with them.
1: Yeah, I, I guess so. Um, Yeah. I mean, the iPad thing is it's, it's interesting, but it's, it seems like it's going, they're going to kind of move towards kind of the idea of the iPad being this like machine that, can be your primary computing device, which we've talked about over and over <laughs> again. It's just never going to be for for you and me. So if if that's if that's a story they're telling with these new iPads, that's just not something that's going to you know resonate with me. Hmm. Yeah, but the thing is, like, it, this event has to take up at least an hour, and
0: like, I'm, uh, there has to be some compelling story for it. So we'll we'll see what it is.
1: I, I don't I don't think we're going to get Jason Snell's. Um, uh, ios laptop unfortunately no i mean i think something like that certainly would have leaked out ahead of time um
0: and then with the the ipad pros uh, allegedly uh, face id that'll work in multiple orientations no home button um, that kind of stuff was already kind of telegraphed in ios 12 where the the clock and date are now in this weird uh, position on the top left um you have a link in here from darth what is that about oh yeah, that's that's pretty good um yeah i think that's it oh and then there was uh the last thing we should talk about with related to this is that ming chi kuo had a thing um that got uh cited on nine uh, on mac rumors where probably not for this event but there is likely to be an update for the ipad mini which was not uh has not been touched in a very very long time except that they have Kind of streamlined it down to only only offering a 128 model, kind of showing that it's a product that's on life support. Um, Also, that Air Power is not dead. So I I I would probably hedge and say no to any new AirPods or Air Power coming out at this event. But um, yeah, interesting that that stuff is still still on the timeline.
1: Can I ask kind of just maybe a dumb question? Sure. But why are people so interested in Air Power? It just doesn't it doesn't i don't I don't think they are I think it's mainly that people are just so um
0: one I think people actually do like the idea like when it would had the product shipped on time do i think like you probably would have bought it where you would have no, a thing
1: I, where, I most certainly would not have bought it.
0: you don't see any compelling benefit to having a thing that you put on your nightstand where you just drop your phone, your watch, and your airpods and not think about it at all. Like, I think so that's kind of cool.
1: Having a better solution for charging my AirPods is something that I'd be potentially interested in, but I already have a really nice, that Elevation Lab uh, little dock next to my yeah, bed that does but both not phone and watch. That. Most people don't have that. Well, no, but I, I'm, I'm saying specifically for me, I had zero interest in air power.
0: Okay. Like, I mean, I wouldn't have bought it, but that's because like I've got my little, like, uh, vintage 1984 Mac uh, Apple Watch charger. I've got my Mophie uh, Stream Plus Plus pad next to my uh, my bedside and my airpods i charge once a week by next to my computer but i think like there, there is like the, the air power the way it was described is like a, an interesting way for apple to have made a wireless charger like because it actually does solve a problem or has like extra value on top of just being an overpriced wireless charger which is what apple would have released because that's they, they need their 40 percent margins on everything So, but I think like, so that's the idea from day one, but I think now it's mostly just like this weird, um, like morbid curiosity of just kind of like why, how Apple like pre-announced something that was just maybe so not even close to shipping or something where a project that seemed really on track, like just fell apart so spectacularly where you don't hear about it for an entire year. And then Apple goes and scrubs every like they they pull a Trump administration, they delete climate change from every website. Like it's like trying to erase air power from all memory. Like that's just kind of that's kind of weird and very un-Apple like. So I think that's most of the fascination at this point. Yeah, I guess. Cause it's, well, and also in the fact that like it's it's allegedly
1: rumored to be like $180.
0: Well, that's, but if, that's if it,
1: that's my point though. Is it's like this is going to be a really expensive kind of niche product that I just I don't know just doesn't. Well, but but everything Apple makes now is is a overly expensive product. Like I mean, if, I have the, a, the gosh darn tennis max is thirteen hundred and fifty dollars. Like I have a, I have a thirteen dollar whatever brand Qi Char- charger on my desk at work. Charging your thirteen hundred uh, sorry, charging your twelve hundred fifty dollar phone. Yeah, I mean it, it works. It works fine.
0: No, no, I, but I, but again, if if we're going with stuff that's really expensive, I I think most people who are willing to spend that much on a phone
1: would not bat an eye, thinking, oh yeah, yeah, hey, yeah I need but a complete can, solution. But I can make a plenty of good case as to why having the expensive phone makes sense for me. But I, I making an argument about why Air Power is you know one hundred and sixty five dollars better than the Qi charger I have. I don't know. Anyway, um, I don't. So yeah, think, so I don't think we'll be saying that next week. Yeah, probably not. Um. Yes, yeah, so I think that's probably it for the iPad Pro event. Yeah, I, I guess the, the last thing, just for me, I'm, I'm kind of interested to see what they'll do with the Mac Mini. Um, not really like clamoring to buy one, but oh, I am. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you you kind of have like a, a current Mac Mini set up. So, well, the thing is, mine is uh, is uh, maybe
0: two hundred days shy of a decade old, so I am very nervous about the day it's going to die, and then my whole uh, like home network falls apart. So I I do hope that gets updated.
1: Yeah, I kind of I kind of do too. So
0: we'll we'll see where that goes. Because like ever since the Apple TV came out and is and is a competent media streaming device, like a lot of people used to have Mac Minis as kind of like their Connected to TV, home theater type thing. So, I know that's probably still not a thing, but that 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 was kind of an interesting uh, use case for it. Mm-hmm. Um, real quick,
1: so, other go ahead. I say, I, I would propose a kind of dealer's choice on maybe one other topic that you want to get into, um, and then we've still got our oh, yeah better console. BCS finale recap and Chef's Corner. Um, let's talk about some Tesla stuff
0: okay um yeah tesla's doing some so well actually in in light of today's news this is actually a little bit uh more interesting but looking at the old news um about a week ago tesla revamped their pricing structure where they um did they make the did they make the cheap one less powerful like w- what did they do to the cheap one well, I mean, there was there was no cheap one. So the the model. Well, wasn't there 3, always like a a three hundred uh, a three hundred fifty thousand? Geez, 30, wasn't there always like the idea was that you're you're putting down this thousand dollar reservation because you want a thirty five thousand dollar?
1: Oh, yeah, I mean, very much so. The, the the first thing Tesla ever said about the Model Three was it was going to be a thirty five thousand dollar car, and there there's no sign of them making that model yet. Um, because that's going to be for the you know, um. Entry level standard battery, you know, no frills kind of model, and they have, they don't have any release date on it as to when that's gonna happen some sometime next year i guess um so up to this point though, all they've sold is the long range battery with the premium um interior upgrade uh, and so now they, as of last week started selling this kind of mid range battery. Which I think is like 260 miles of range instead of 310, which is what the longer range one is, and that that's compared to. I think they've said the standard battery is going to be like 210. Um, but this was—it's interesting because this was an option that's never been talked about before, kind of just came up out of nowhere. Um, but it's it's kind of interesting, especially especially in the context of this federal tax credit being phased out starting if you receive your car after December 31st. Um, so if you're somehow able to order one of these cars and get it before the end of the year, which when you order doesn't sound like it's guaranteed, then I think it it is kind of interesting. Um, if you're not able to get the full credit and you are kind of waiting for the more entry-level price, then I'm not really sure if this would be a good good choice?
0: Well, so that that wouldn't that force you or like like nudge you into the more expensive model? If you knew that you're kind of sort of getting it for free or at least Tesla's making out with um extra money because they know that the, they're going to they're only going to put efforts into shipping the mid-tier and high-tier ones in uh, like a in a decent time frame.
1: I didn't I didn't quite follow that.
0: Like I'm saying like so if the, if you have to take delivery by the end of the year to get the 7500 tax incentive from the from the government and they're only in Tesla's only putting a lot of effort in churning out the mid-tier and the high end model threes doesn't that kind of serve as a as a thing to discourage you from buying the cheap one because if so, it'll just end up actually being more expensive because you're not getting that uh,
1: tax benefit. Yeah, no, that's totally right. I, the, the caveat, though, is I think we're at a point now where, I mean, maybe if you still order one of the super high-end ones, maybe Tesla's guaranteeing delivery before the end of the year. But I don't think any of these mid-range option cars are being guaranteed before the end of the year. So if you go into it buying, buying the car with the full federal tax credit being part of your calculus… You're, I think, you're kind of taking a gamble because
0: I'm on the Tesla website, yeah, and it says delivery in four to eight weeks, which, it being October 25th,
1: seems like a huge gamble. Right, exactly, and you know, Tesla's uh, timeline estimates aren't necessarily always super accurate. Production hell, my friend.
0: Um, also, I always forget, and I'm always uh, very, <laughs> it's always very funny to me on um, Tesla's configurator thing where uh, after and they always show the pricing including just uh, some random calculation for gas savings where they just randomly decide to take $4300 off the cost of the car
1: well it, to That's their to fun. their credit they you can when you click that learn more link it it does take you to an actual calculator which it, i think when it, when they first rolled it out they didn't and it it was just a number uh so they they do show their work now as as you would say um but but yeah it's still <laughs> a bit it's, subjective it's, yeah, yeah. Um, and I then, mean, to, to me to me the by far and away this is what i kind of ranted to you offline about like to me the the bigger thing is expecting buyers to kind of fully understand the whole federal tax credit phase out issue like i i don't know that's that's asking a lot of your buyer to to be thinking through that i mean i i hope that Tesla's being transparent about it when people are buying cars, but I mean, if you're just buying from the website here, it's not super clear what's happening there. Are you able to back out if the pricing terms suddenly change dramatically? I don't know how it works now. I don't know if it's like it was, you know, years ago when I put down my thousand dollar deposit, if that was I don't know if it's still that case where it's, it's fully refundable, like right up to the time where you configure your car. Um, Yeah, I I guess I don't know, but I mean, you know, what would happen if you get the invitation to configure on like December 10th and it's like delivery in two to four weeks where it's like literally, you know, you don't know whether you're going to take delivery in time or not at that, at that point, I'm sure you're just locking yourself in. So do you have to like, like I'm I'm on the
0: website, it looks like I could buy the car right now. Do you still have to get invited?
1: No, no. So there I mean, there was even like a day, uh, a couple of weeks ago, where if you live in the Bay Area, and you wanted certain configurations, you could like literally go to Fremont and pick it up same day. And I think it's the case now where if you buy certain configurations, you you can take delivery in like a matter of a week or two. I think I think they're I think they're in a position now where if you want one of these long range batteries with the premium upgrade like you could that's you can just totally get that. Yeah.
0: And then what's the deal with the um
1: removal of some promised self-driving? Yeah, this is the other crazy part. So they they made a bunch of different updates when they rolled out this mid-range battery and and one of the things that they did was they took away this what's always been kind of a dubious option where you could buy, you could give Tesla, I think it was like another $4,000. So you had to buy the enhanced autopilot package. And then on top of that, you could buy this self-driving package, but you, you you're not actually getting anything today. You're, you're basically just putting down a non-refundable deposit for some future functionality that, hasn't been discussed in any sort of level of detail has absolutely no timelines um you know has really just been this kind of nebulous thing and tesla actually took away the option to to purchase um to purchase that um it's always been the case that if you if you haven't purchased that at the time of your purchase that you've been able to add it through an over-the-air update but i mean but again it doesn't really do anything now um and Tesla is saying that they're obviously still working towards this, but it was creating what they call confusion <laughs> with customers, which I, I would imagine so. If you spend four thousand dollars and don't actually get anything out of it, I could see how that would, would cause confusion. <laughs> uh, um, so I'm 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 kind of glad that they've they've taken this step, but um it's it's kind of late. It's, it's something that they should have never really offered in the first place. Electrics take it's weird that it took them
0: 2 years to realize they shouldn't sell a feature that they are nowhere near to release. Yeah,
1: fair. And I think part part of the problem too with all of this is so they they kind of announced cuz this this was going back kind of in the days of when they were first starting to talk about the Model 3, they they made this big announcement. It was like October of I don't know, 2014-2015 where they said, "Okay, you know, every Tesla made after today is going to be keep, capable of self-driving." And they also outlined, you know, the what, what enhanced autopilot was going to be and what the, you know, the full self-driving was going to be. And the problem is, like, since that time, they haven't delivered anything. Like, autopilot hasn't really changed at all. Even, like, the enhanced autopilot functionality they've promised, they haven't shipped any of that. They've made absolutely zero progress towards the self-driving part, at least in any sort of public way. So it's like if if they were making incremental progress towards this stuff over the last couple of years, I could kind of start to see a case around continuing to sell it because at least people would see that, you know, their money was going towards something. But the fact that there's just literally been none of that happening, I think, makes it just a a tough sell. Yeah.
0: And I also, even though Tesla is not a very conservative company, I assume... A lot of the um, self-driving accidents and stuff, which even if it's actually on the whole still a more reliable and safer way to travel, I think that maybe caused them to uh, increase their standards or their like confidence level in this product before they before
1: they go all in on it. Yeah, I mean, maybe I, I would say it's more about if they haven't even been able to to ship all the promises for enhanced autopilot, then that means that they're a really long way from shipping anything that's self-driving. Yeah. Well, they had a good quarter, so good for them. Yeah, they did. I mean, the it's it's kind of it's funny how like the way that we talked about the Model 3 as recently as like June has just like come it just like overnight like it just changed. It was like it went from being this like rare thing that they were only making like a few thousand of here and there to like, they've now delivered over a hundred thousand of them. Like we just talked about a minute ago, there are certain configurations that you can just order and and get pretty quickly. Like it just, it really kind of just kind of happened. Um, which is, uh, you know, it's interesting. It's Tesla's got (laughs) a lot of other problems to solve, but, um, this has I think been their first their first big win in a while.
0: Yeah. We can all use win every once in a while.
1: Better call Saul. Yeah.
0: Man, I've I've been missing it. I know, me too. There's been no good uh weekly TV show to watch. So I think we haven't talked about it in three weeks. Yeah, we, 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 we didn't we didn't talk about the last three
1: episodes. I mean, i I've, I've got no shot at remembering everything that happened in those last three episodes. Um, but I mean, obviously, the highlights with kind of how the um, how Gus's lab, how that storyline um, ended. I was going to say resolved itself, but that's it, not the right way to to think about that.
0: So the, I mean there were two main story arcs that kind of uh progressed a lot. So the first was uh Jimmy fighting to get his um his uh, law license reinstated. He had kind of a false start where he was super insincere, and then um Kim had the whole uh speech in the parking garage of uh When Are You Not Down, which was Emmy Award winning acting. Um and then where you like you kind of felt where um when he did give a more impassioned and, uh, even though it was disingenuous, a more earnest plea, um, she was maybe a little shocked at how, um, satisfied he was with himself at having deceived people, which I think gave her a lot of pause. So there was that. There was a whole ton of good, um, Kim and Jimmy stuff. And then, yeah, the rest of it was Mike and the, uh, the German guy who was helping build the, um, uh, Fring's lab and uh, he kind of escaped for a little vacation and that ended uh, very badly for him spoilers and also that was a very good um, acting job on the part of Mike and then at the very end uh, kind of as a little bit of a cliffhanger we uh, we get to meet up with Gail who apparently is going to take over the uh, lab creation job
1: so yeah a lot happened Hmm. um and of course, you like with Jimmy's storyline, with him ultimately getting back his law license, I thought that was done really well, where there was a bit of a head fake, where it was like it seemed inevitable that he was going to get it back, and then he didn't. So then it was like, geez, are we going to go like another full season with him now trying to fight that decision? But then it all of a sudden resolved itself, and he, he was going to get his license back, but the the way that he did it, seems to be the finally the thing that maybe kind of has opened Kim's eyes and has sort of permanently changed the way that she sees him like that, yeah. that very, very last scene of the final episode where Jimmy clearly doesn't seem like he has any feelings towards Chuck and really did use him just to, to kind of get some sympathy with the, with the panel. I I think that really, that really hits Kim hard. Um, and it kind of speaks to something that I think has been one of the best parts of the show, which is, you know, I think at first it might have seemed like there was going to be some big dramatic event that caused Jimmy and Kim to split. I mean, maybe even Kim getting killed or something. Um, but instead, it's been sort of this kind of emotional separation that they've been like slowly and slowly building and it all, it all kind of led up led up to that moment
0: well because i think in the past like kim with a lot of the creative and uh quasi borderline stuff that jimmy is known for um like all the slipping jimmy stuff like that um I think up until this point she thought a lot of that was fun and that ultimately he was not necessarily a bad person. But I think with yeah, the 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 last two episodes and all the stuff with um using the memory of Chuck and also um just how comfortable and good at lying he is, uh that yeah, that brought out a lot of um that that, that was a moment of realization for her. So I'm I'm super interested in how they resolved that. Because I assume like there's no like based off of what we saw between them in the last two episodes, I, I I don't see another season of them together. So I'm not really sure how quickly that, um, resolved itself or that becomes
1: a thing. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and it does, it does really feel like this next season is going to be the last one. Cause it feels like we've kind of now entered the, the true Saul Goodman era. And I, I think it's pretty clear they're not going to just make this show like the adventures of Saul and just have him like show him with a bunch of clients before he met Walter White. So yeah, it kind of, kind of seems like this is probably entering the final stage. Like, like we've talked about before, I could see, you know, a a final season split in two halves, but I I don't think we're going to see like another 10 episodes followed by another block of episodes.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at Wikipedia, and I don't see anything. It just says it's renewed for its fifth season, but it doesn't have a a set end date. Where I think um, two seasons before the end of Breaking Bad, they kind of uh, put a hard stop on it.
1: Yeah, there was um, there was also I can't remember where this was, but there was I don't know if it was The Ringer, um, but some some article I read speculated that one of the really cool opportunities they might have is to actually go ahead in time and switch to um, Jimmy like post Breaking Bad. You know, we've, they've been teasing that with like these season opener scenes that we've gotten each of the first four seasons, but then to like flesh that out into its own either full season or maybe a handful of episodes or something. I think that could be kind of interesting and would be a way to kind of keep the show going.
0: Kind of, although I don't necessarily know what that actually looks like, because I assume the whole point is that he just lies as low as humanly possible, because when you think about how... Because uh, at your recommendation, I just finished watching like the, la- the back end of uh, the last season of Breaking Bad, and it ended very badly to the point where I think the whole point would be for Saul or Jimmy to delay as low as humanly possible. So I'm not sure in his post... Um, walter white days he's he's living it up or doing anything exciting right
1: and that's that's true but
0: also i i don't know i don't think we talked about this online or on the show uh the there was a throwaway line on one of the episodes the final episodes of breaking bad where uh jimmy or sorry that saul says um all i want to do is i like, just run a sit-up on in omaha or something like that
1: which is very on the nose or or very
0: very good continuity
1: yeah, no, I I when I rewatched that episode, I I noticed the same thing and I thought that was that was pretty good.
0: Yeah.
1: Um and if, I I think I mentioned this to you. I I, w- I forget what prompted me to do this. I think it was in one of the episode recaps that that brought up uh the very first episode of Breaking Bad that Saul Goodman appeared in and that episode is called Better Call Saul. Mm-hmm. So that, I thought that was pretty good. Yeah. All right. Well,
0: um, most AMC shows it's like nine to 12 months before the next season. So it's gonna be a little bit,
1: but yeah, it was, um, yeah, super good season. Yeah, it really was. It, that It's a show, one of the rare shows that's gotten, I think, better each season. Yeah. Yeah. Kim,
0: a, a exceptional character.
1: Yeah. There actually, there's been a lot of Emmy buzz for her. So I, I hope, I hope that happens.
0: Yeah, like, I didn't know exactly what to think of her or, like, or how well her character would be used uh, when the show originally came out. But, um, yeah, it, it, she's been, like, one of the best parts of the, the entire series.
1: Yeah, agreed. All right, you want to do some chef's picks? I do. I It's, it's funny. I I made this pick before, kind of knowing what we were going to talk about on this episode, and it it's ended up being, like, the absolute perfect pick for... A mix of a couple of topics that we've that we've gone through. Um, so this is a it's a super kind of specialized thing, um, but it's it's right in my wheelhouse, as you would say. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the things that the Model Three does not have, and I just I just sent you a link for this, is uh, a wireless charger for your phone, which is becoming more common in vehicles. It has a, a fairly elegant charging system with this kind of specialized cable sorting system but it's a little it was a little finicky to actually put your phone down and and get the you know cable to attach and i've always thought like man it would be great if they just had this kind of same little pad that you can put your phone on but it was just a, a wireless charger and this company nomad and a couple of others have come out with various options as well but nomads is kind of the cream of the crop right now Um, this is a adapter that they have that replaces the little phone cradle in the model three with a wireless charging pad. And it's, it's really, really well made works exactly like you'd want it to. Um, and it's super, super convenient just to pop your phone down on this as opposed to actually plugging it in. So again, super specialized thing and probably something the model three just should have had to begin with, but, um, the fact that it doesn't has created an opportunity for others to come in and make it, and, and Nomad I think has done a done a really nice job. So I, I got mine a couple of weeks ago, and I've I've been been super happy with it. Cool. So real quick. So yeah, uh, interesting to hear
0: that you already got yours, It's because on the page you linked me to it actually says pre order, which I guess is what they mean instead of being out of stock.
1: They've been yeah they, they they make them in batches. Uh huh. So I I actually ordered mine like I think like back at the beginning of September yeah so and I, I just got it
0: a week or two ago so this is pricey one 130 or 150 on their regular price but it looks nice and also looking at the product page it's very cool that um it fits in where you can actually close the little lid on top of it
1: oh yeah no it it's it, um, super neat the, so the the pad is it is like a picture perfect replica of the uh, the one that comes with the Model 3. So all the functionality, including being able to close that little um, um, phone holding area, all of that remains the same. And so that that's what makes it nice, is it's not some janky-looking third-party thing. Like, I mean, for if you didn't know any better, you would just think this is the way that the car came. It's, it's really sharp. Cool. Yeah, I've, yeah I've, I'm big on the wireless charging thing. It, it was something that I had basically zero interest in like even when the iPhone 10 came out I'm like, "eh, it's just not something I'm I really think I'm going to use." And now I mean, I guess you know, my phone charger at night next to my bed is something I still plug in, but like the charger I have at the office and then now the charger I have in my car is wireless and I I love the fact that it's wireless.
0: Yeah, like wireless charging like even though it seems like a dumb novelty, one of the key things about it that's super nice is that you always know where your phone is. So like just having a spot where you're like, oh, I I just walked into the house. I'm going to drop my phone here.
1: Well, and and in situations like at the office and in my car where I'm kind of frequently coming and going from the location where it's charging, just that little bit of less friction with being able to Mm -hmm. just quickly put your phone down or picking it up without having to unplug or plug in a cable makes a huge difference.
0: Yeah, especially with the with you have with the, well no now that you have the XS Max, uh, the battery life's not so much of an issue. But I think with the iPhone X, depending on how you use it, getting through an entire day is was sometimes a uh, a little little tricky. All right, so I've got a couple of travel picks real quick. So the first one is going to be the UniDapt all in one wall charger international plug adapter. So I sent you a picture of this thing, but it's pretty cool in that it has four high powered USB ports, one USB C port and works on every uh voltage system with every plug. Because I didn't know before or I uh, up until a couple days before I left for the trip uh that the uh UK and European countries do not have the same uh power plugs, right? So, this is a uh, really small and really compact and uh, obviated so many chargers that I'd have to take. It allowed me to charge my camera, my um, backup battery for my phone, my Apple watch and uh my phone itself um, and my laptop all in one thing. so it's pretty how, great. How did you
1: How did you find this?
0: Uh, I was just searching for um, just like a voltage converter, and on Amazon it came up, and I'm like, that kind of solves everything. Just because, luckily, the because um, <laughs> I because I'm cheap, uh, the Chromebook Pixel <laughs> AC adapter that I used to charge my MacBook Pro because I wasn't going to pay Apple eighty dollars for theirs. Uh, that one sports one ten to two forty, and then because the Unidapt thing has a high powered USB hub built into it. I don't have to worry about the voltage
1: on any of the USB stuff that I would have charged. Yeah, I mean most most modern electronics, the adapters they come with, the voltage isn't really much of an issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll work across you know one ten to two forty, but it's yeah, it's the having all the plugs in one little unit like this. That's pretty neat. Yeah, so
0: pretty good and twenty two dollars on Amazon.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, I, I I just have kind of the old school like. Bag of adapters that I bring where you know you 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 hook those onto your u s adapters, but being able just to consolidate that all into all one little device like this that's pretty neat yeah uh, a couple
0: other quick picks um the camera that I bought I was always really hopeful that bluetooth uh that, that has a feature where you can use bluetooth to um to take the location data from your iOS or Android phone and embed that in photos. Uh, That is really unreliable and not very good. So there is an app that you can get on iOS that's very, very light on battery usage. And it's called uh, Geotag Photos, all one word. And it um, will spit out a .gpx file that you can put into Lightroom. And it uh, allows you to retroactively geotag all your photos super easily. Uh, This particular app integrates with Dropbox and iCloud Drive. so. There's no friction in having to upload a file or doing that kind of stuff, so you can just tell Lightroom what folder those GPX files are. It automatically matches things up and it gives you a geotag of all your photos. Wait, That's so ha- cool. how does how does this work? So basically, it's just an app that you run on your phone, and you just say, "Okay, I'm gonna go out shooting for the day." I just hit start, and just every third, you can you can choose the interval, but I just choose every minute, and it just t- uh, does a little like tag of your location. And then once you're done for the day, it will automatically upload a .gpx file, which is kind of like, you know, like the people who like do like running and hiking. Like if you have like one of those Garmin watches or whatever, it will spit out like a, a thing just full of coordinates of where you were. Oh, so then, it do just, that. then it matches the time. And then Lightroom. Exactly. Because the time matches up. And if, if you're it. in a different time zone, you can get a different time zone offset and just automatically geotags all your files. I, I, okay. The, the time thing is what, okay. I got it. Huh. Yeah. That, that's That's clever. So that's pretty good. Um, and then lastly, Google maps, uh, supporting offline mapping is pretty great. Cause that's, Ooh, that's the one thing I forgot to talk about. Uh, in, in the, in the UK, no, no cell service in transit stations. That's really, really not helpful. So, uh, that was not the case in France. Uh, orange has everything covered,
1: but, uh, yeah. So offline maps with Google maps is, is, is very, very good yeah that that's huge I mean especially like when you're up against any kind of like data caps and stuff, which is less of an issue now, and it probably wasn't really much of an issue with the way that you went about it but with a couple of Europe trips ago when i was i had just some you know puny allocation of data from a t and t being able to download a bunch of maps ahead of time and not have to worry about that was a a huge data saver when I was over there, yeah, I think that's it. Glad to have you back.
0: Yeah. Thanks for people uh, bearing with us for a two-week break, but it was all worth it, wasn't it? I think so.